Well, like I said, looking back on it today, it was like the best day of my life. Yeah. Because I started becoming... All I can describe it as is lucky. Welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts, the podcast that celebrates difference, kindness, and the little things we can all do to make our world a better place. Join me, your host, Sonia, co-founder of The X Charity, for some open, authentic, and fun conversations with lots of interesting, extraordinary, everyday people who are all a little bit different. Prepare to have your curiosity peaked and your heart warmed as we explore the ways we can all make a difference in the world, no matter how small. So get ready to be inspired, uplifted and motivated to be the kindest version of yourself. Let's make the world a kinder place, one conversation at a time. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts. How are you today? Today we're going to talk to Mark. Now, Mark grew up in Rill, but he now lives in the middle of nowhere. And when I visited, I had to go via several farmers on my way to his home. Now, Mark lost his leg when he was 10 from a car accident. This led him to a swimming therapy where he received the biggest act of kindness of his life, access to a swimming coach. And from this, he went on to win Paralympic medals. We discuss his brushes with royalty. And how he started his award-winning business called Limart. Now they make prosthetic leg covers which help amputees improve their confidence. We start this interview by finding out where it all began. My name's Mark Williams and I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Limart. So we make the world's coolest prosthetic leg covers for amputees. We normally start just at the beginning, really, talk a little bit about kind of growing up, how's life. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's a good place for you. Yeah, I was born in Rill, in North Wales, and really the first momentous day would have been June 1982. Just finished junior school, just passed my cycling proficiency, best in class, riding home from school. Car came the other way, didn't see me, so I ended up 20 foot over this stone wall. They rushed me into hospital, and then in the evening, the surgeon came out to speak to my parents and said he had some good news and some bad news. The good news was King Charles, as he is now, and Princess Diana had just had a baby boy, which is Prince William. And the bad news is they couldn't save my leg. So that was the day I became an, an amputee. And I remember kind of waking up in, in hospital, looking down and seeing there was a lump on the right side of the bed sheets and no lump on the left. And it was the first time I really realised I was a, an amputee. And I thought, oh, that's it, life's kind of over. I'm 10 years old. Mum and Dad are going to have to look after me and feed me and take me to the bathroom and stuff. And it was quite a sort of a low point. And then not knowing then that I'd be looking back on that day today and going probably the best day of my life. Wow. So. What was the pain like? I don't really remember. I mean, of course, it's 40 or 40, 42 years ago now. Pain as in a an injury pain. Yeah. But I remember for about the first year, you got phantom pains, which is basically your brain trying to figure out why it's not getting signals back from the bottom of the leg. You, you get like a cramp in your leg that's not there. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it, it plays with your brain quite a bit. And even today, I can wiggle my toes on my left leg that's not there. And I can feel my toes wiggling, although they're not there. That's um, And then you get itches. So fortunately, after a year, all the phantom pains... The, the ones that were really painful went but even now I get an itch on the side of your leg on the side of my prosthetic 
you'll get an itch there. Well, clearly it's not itch, what itchy. If you scratch the itch? so, and that's the only way you can get rid of it. No. You, you can tell yourself in your brain as much as possible that you can't have an itch mark because the leg isn't there. And the itch will get worse and worse and worse. And the only way you do it is go and scratch your prosthetic and the itch disappears. And it's it's something you get used to now and you have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it. But it can be really serious for some people. They just, it fries their brains because they can't figure out why they're getting these feelings. Because nobody's ever told the brain, you haven't got a left leg anymore. That is mad. So you're 10 years old, you one leg less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did you start from there? Well, like I said, looking back on it today, it was like the... Best day of my life. Yeah. Because I started becoming, all I can describe it as is lucky. So my first bit of luck was when I was in Glanclwyd Hospital in the hydrotherapy pool. Mick Jones, who was the coach of Rill Swimming Club, had slipped on the poolside and damaged his back. So he was also in physio and in hydrotherapy. Okay. Um, I couldn't swim. In fact, I was scared of water. Dad was scared of water, so naturally I was scared of water. Yeah. So Mick said to me and mum, well... We're going to be in here for the next few weeks, so um, why don't I teach you to swim? So Mick taught me to swim. After two weeks, something like that, Mick said he's he's seen hundreds of kids go through Real Swimming Club, and uh, he says he always spots ones that are naturally gifted at swimming. And he said the way Mark's swimming now is just it's like he's been swimming for years. So he says I'd love to give him a year's free training in Real Swimming Club. For no, he was not going to get anything out of it. It was yeah. just purely from the kindness of his heart. He said, I'll give you a year's for free. So I took that up, started training in real club, five o'clock in the morning till seven before school. Oh, so dad used to have to get up and take me uh, down to the pool and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and what, what about like, how are you getting around at this point? Yeah, I, well, uh, I'd lost my leg. It was the last week of junior school. And then I started Glencluid High School the first day. I walked into the um, main theatre on the first day. So it was seven weeks of summer holidays. Yeah. And that was my sort of goal fairly early on, was I'm going to walk into school yeah. day one. Yeah. And did you feel that you had to cover it up in that, or were you out and proud? No, I was probably okay yeah. at that time. It was probably just later on I started getting a few yeah. um, image issues. So so you're, you're swimming crack of dawn, school's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You're so like you're managing with. Yeah. You didn't need crutches or anything, I don't know. You just. No, to, uh, to get to the poolside and stuff, that was about it. Um, right. And. Uh, so, it, oh, so when you're in the pool, did you, you I, do you have a swimming leg? No, no. You take your leg off to go swimming. Right, so you'd need, you'd yeah. have crutches. So to, I used to go to the, the changing rooms, yeah. you take your leg off and you put your speedos on and stuff, and then crutches to the poolside. Right, okay. Yeah, so that was it for a couple of months training in real pool and then Mick entered me into the real prostatin and Abigaili swimming championships I had no choice in this Mick said you've you've been entered and um, so this was obviously against able-bodied kids yeah and I won a few of the races and was on the podium for the majority of them yeah so Mick said to me he said we need to figure out how quick you are on in the disabled world because he says there must be disabled swimming championships So Mick wrote down to the BSAD, the British Sports Association for the Disabled, who were based in Stoke Mandeville, the birthplace of the Paralympics, and asked them for the qualifying times for the British Championships. Um, and of course, this is before email and WhatsApp and stuff. Yeah. This is 1982, 1983. So you had to scribe a letter and put it in these red boxes. and <laughs> wait, Yeah. And then two weeks later, this letter came back with the four qualifying times on. 
And disappointingly, they were miles quicker than right. where I was. But like me and Mick agreed, okay, well, at least we've got a target to go for. Yeah. And it's something I've sort of kept in my mind ever since then is always have something to go for. Yeah. So we knuckled down four or five mornings a week training. And uh, fairly quickly, we were knocking a half second off, another half yeah. second off. And these qualifying times started to look like they'd be in reach. So we dropped backstroke and breaststroke and just concentrated on freestyle and butterfly. They seemed to be the two that were the easiest to achieve or the ones that I was best at. Yeah. And then one day Mick said, OK, we're going to get the proper timing gear out in the morning when you're coming for training. Come in early and then you can, we can get it done before everyone else arrives. And we'll see. I, I, he said, I think with the right conditions, I think we're nearly there. So I went in and 100 butterfly and 100 freestyle beat both qualifying times by about half a second. So Mick then wrote back to the BSAD to say, okay, Mark's now beaten the qualifying times. How do we get him into the championships? And they wrote back saying, Mick, there's some kind of mistake here. We didn't send you the qualifying times. What we sent you was the British records. (laughs) So... Um, that got me into Team GB. Into team GB. I, well, they said the British Championships are on in three weeks in Stoke Mandeville. Can you get Mark down here? So I, I went to the British Championships down in Stoke Mandeville. Um, three weeks later? Yeah. So you've gone from real sudden... How old yeah. are you? 11 at this point? Um, 12, something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I came back with five goals and five British records. <laughs> so um, that included the breaststroke and backstroke that I wasn't particularly great at. And then, yeah. So that just catapulted me then on a platform around Europe swimming, out to the US and stuff. The World Championships, the first World Championships, were, which were 1986, and then it was shortlisted. They were about a year out from the Championships, so they were deciding where the Championships were going to be held. And it was a shortlist of Los Angeles, Barbados, or Nottingham. Nottingham, wasn't it? <laughs> so we swam in Nottingham. I got two golds, three silvers. Is this like in an under-18 <coughs> category? Yeah, that was yeah. the, yeah, the um, junior games, right, so okay. under-18s. But you're still only about 12 at this age. Um, um, so 86, I'd be 14 now. Right. So then I got the letter in after to say I was in the shortlist for the 88 Seoul Paralympics wow. out in South Korea. And then they only pick the final team about three or four months out from the games to see who's on, right, on the right level. Yeah. I got the call that I was in, in the final team. So we had to go down to London for a send-off party, which was held by Princess Diana and Frank Bruno. There was 250 of us in a room in London, and uh, just fantastic. So yeah, spoke to Princess Diana for uh, for quite a while, and then I'd said at the time that I'd lost my leg the day that she gave birth yeah. to, uh, to Prince William. So out to Seoul, I got silver and bronze, missed the gold by 0.2 of a second. Um, so I remember going up the last length and... Uh, Touching the wall was Michael Boucherie from France next to me. And uh, we both looked at each other. And it was kind of in all the championships, me and him, in the finals. And uh, neither of us knew who'd got it. And of course, the times don't come up on the board until the last person's touched at the time. They do now. So this last guy was like eight seconds behind. (laughs) So it's like the longest eight seconds. He touched the wall and I'd missed it by 0.2. So I was kind of disappointed um, leaving Seoul. But fortunately, the year after was the World Championships in Miami. Okay. Me and Mick focused on them. Out to Miami, outdoor pool, 50 metre, Olympic size, really, really great facility. Felt really good there. Same 100 metre fly final. Me, Michael Boucherie in lanes four and five, the fastest lanes. And exactly the same again, apart from up on the, on the last length. 
I remember my stroke looking like it was going to be out by the time I got to the end, where you have to take a little like half stroke to touch the right. wall. Um, and that can be the difference between yeah. first and third sometimes. So anyhow, I just shortened up my stroke a little bit and uh, touched the wall. Michael touched the wall at the same time. Both of us looked at it and it was like a copy-paste of the year before. The guy is still eight seconds behind. <laughs> so he touched the wall and, and my name came up on, on top. Yes. So I beat him by point two. <laughs> But my name went then red, because in Butterfly you've got loads of different rules and regulations you've got to adhere to. Okay. Double-handed touches on both turns, uh, got to come up before uh, the colour change on the lane ropes and all these kind of things. So I thought, oh, I've been disqualified. What did you Coach came over and said to me, the reason it's gone red is because she broke the world record. Oh. So <laughs> that was a very different feeling then to the year before. Um, so... Uh, yeah, when I got home, I said to Mick and to mum and dad, I said, you know what, I've been swimming for seven years, pretty much, yeah. every morning. And in the last few years, every morning and most evenings, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a week off. Because taking a week off means it takes you two weeks to get back to where you were. Right. Okay. So, so a week means three weeks, really. Yeah. So I took a week off and then a week turned into a month. And then uh, a month turned into quite a few years and never swam competitively after that. Uh, I'd done what I set out to achieve. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to to be the best in the world and very fortunate. So all that journey from losing my leg to becoming world champion. And do you not get paid for... You didn't didn't then, so that was before National Lottery funding. Right, okay. So that was when I got the letter to say um, I was in the shortlist to go to Seoul. The second page said, don't forget you have to pay for yourself. It was £3,000. We didn't have £3,000. I was just really lucky. Again, being lucky. S4C had just started six months before the Welsh Channel. So all the stars came together and put a concert on in Glanclwyd School. The community around me were just people giving pocket money into the... Through the the, uh, letterbox at the door and stuff. Because this is before Just Giving or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real community. Saying you needed to get three grand together in the community. So we we raised in in about three months um, £7,000. So that paid for me and someone else. But it all stems from from Mick saying, I'll give you a year for free because I want to see what you're doing here. And it's like, from a, a kindness perspective, it, it's like a, the perfect example of a ripple effect, isn't it? Because it started from that one act of kindness. Yeah, yeah. Near the end of that journey, you've got this whole community, yeah. you know, demonstrating kindness to enable you to go and yeah, yeah. fulfil your dream. Which and, and, and I think it's one of them, it's a two-way street, that what Mick did, it triggers stuff off then. It's a ripple effect. But I think this ripple rather than being in a pond and slowly diminishing as it goes across the pond, I think it gathers pace. So it was natural for me then when I was training and I was starting to get some success to then I did a sponsored swim in real pool to raise money for the hospital that had done my operation and stuff. I think some of that was people going, okay, let's give a bit, yeah. give a bit back. This is how and it works. And, and it, and it kind of just bounces both ways without that level of kindness, I wouldn't be able to swim, wouldn't have done the swimming career, or would have done the swimming career, and how bad would it have been? And some people didn't make it to Seoul, not because they weren't quick enough, but because they couldn't afford it, right, which is okay. horrendous. Yeah. Fortunately, today, you've got National Lottery funding, so that's where all the Paralympic team gets supported from. So if, you, if you're good enough, you will get funding. Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
So you're 18, yep. you've quit swimming, what do you do? Well, that's it. I'd been to, I think it was 19, yeah, 19 by now, by the, by the end of the Miami World Championships. I'd been to the College of Life and the College of Swimming, but yeah. not the College of Education. <laughs> I had my CSEs from Glencloud School. Really didn't fancy going back into education and starting again. So just needed to get a job. So I had a few little jobs. And then I joined a company called Economics Laboratories, which was later shortened to Ecolab, as a salesman around this area here where we live, selling teat dips for dairy cows to farmers. (laughs) So really left of field. So I started with them as a sales rep in North Wales and then progressed to sort of a trainer for them and then manager of Wales, manager of the UK, manager of North Europe. And then in the end, my my patch was Europe, Africa, Middle East. So from the top of Russia down to Cape Town, looking after our main sort of product ranges there and doing talks to various different teams and in various different countries. Um, you do like to strive, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Where does that come from, do you think? I, I think it comes from saying that Mick said to me one day, no excuses, can do, find a way. And it's our company's sort of strapline now. I think, uh, my dad's not with us now, but they said when I came out of hospital, I was a very different boy that went into right. hospital. Went in, not really caring what was going on the next day or anything, as when I came out. I was very driven, needed to achieve something, needed to get it done. Yeah. I think when you've come very close to the whole thing not working yeah. and not making it through, you realise how precious life is and how it can yeah. suddenly stop. Yeah. So that drive, I think, stays has stayed with me and helped me through certainly in the swimming career. In the summer, it's great. You get up at five o'clock, beautiful mornings, cycle to the swimming, and, uh, and really good. But in February when the hail is rattling on the window yeah. and the alarm goes off. It takes a lot of getting up to get get that training done. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so um, when I joined E-Club, I did, did well with them. And we even, in 2008, I think it was, we won the Prince Philip Award for innovation. Okay. We managed to develop a, a system that turned milk into a disinfectant. Oh, wow. So it really helped the, the dairy industry. And the only issue I really had in my Ecolab career was when you've got a prosthetic leg from the NHS, like the, the one there with the Welsh socket on, they're like a stem at the bottom. It's yeah. like a flagpole. And I had to wear a suit for work, so your trousers flapped around it like a flag around a flagpole. Right, okay. So I kind of walk okay as a below-knee amputee. Yeah. But people wouldn't look at my trouser leg all the time and wondering yeah, why was it why, flapping. Yeah. yeah, it just didn't sit right. Yeah, so I was a bit conscious of that. Looking back on it, I didn't realise how conscious I was, but I, I was a bit conscious on it. I looked for various different options, and the NHS would give you like a foam cover, but it was truly dire, the yeah. way this thing looked. So I made myself a fibreglass copy of my good leg, tie-wrapped it onto my prosthetic leg, and it gave me this shape under trousers. <laughs> and, uh, okay, that was great. And then six years ago now, nearly seven years ago, me and my wife rebuilt an old 1962 Land Rover from the chassis up. It was completely wrecked. Um, came to the stage of painting it. So I'd just finished spraying it. I had about half a litre of spray paint left. And I thought, well, shame to waste it because this is going to go off because it's a pack. So I sprayed my leg cover the same colour as the Land Rover. <laughs> and then Rachel took a picture of me with the Land Rover up at the Brennig Reservoir, just above, above us here. And it went on social media. There was It was a UK amputee's Facebook site 
just for amputees, and someone had put on it, so what cars do all you all those amputees drive? Yeah. And the people were putting the pictures of various different cars. So I put the picture up of my Land Rover with me sitting on the bonnet with my Land Rover leg. And within 15 minutes or something like that, I had a message from an amputee in Birmingham to say, where do you get your leg given from? It's really cool. I've been looking for something like that. I said, oh, I made it myself. Do you think you can make me one? Well, I suppose I could. So I made him one. And then his mate, who was an amputee, said, oh, do you think you make one for your mate? Well, I suppose I could. So I made one for his mate. And then I'd made one, a Christmas one. So this was December 2017. So I was in Morrison's in Denby, um, wearing my Christmas leg, which had LED lights inside it. And you could press the buttons and change the light colours. In my shorts and T-shirt, as you do, just to, to kind of blend in, you know. And this little four-year-old lad escaped from his mum, came running up to me and he said, hey, mister, your leg's really cool. <laughs> so I let him press the buttons and change the lights. And he was like, oh, this is just so cool. This is the best thing I've ever seen. And then he said to his mum, mum, can I have one of these for Christmas? Oh. <laughs> and you go, okay, a little awkward. And his mum said, well, you, you can't because the gentleman's only got one leg. And that's why he's got a magic flashing leg. You've got two legs, so you can't have one. And he was dead disappointed. And then, to cut a long story short there, driving home from Denby to here, I had a bit of a flashback of waking up in hospital, looking down and just seeing one lump in the bed yeah. and thinking life was pretty much over, to thinking, God forbid, if something happened to that little four-year-old lad now yeah. and he lost his leg, he might just wake up and go, does this mean I can have one of them flashy legs now? Oh, yeah. And this, I couldn't get this thought out of my head. And by the time I got home, I walked through the door and my wife said, okay, what's up? <laughs> you could see on my face there was something. And I said, you know, we've been making this the odd leg cover yeah. for, for amputees as a bit of fun. I said, I think there's more to it. I think it has an impact on the wearer and Joe Public that are looking yeah. at you. So we got a team together and Limart was, was founded with an objective to make the world's coolest prosthetic leg covers. We're not going to try and make a leg look like a, a leg. Yeah. Not trying to match skin tones or anything yeah. like that. And we're going to make these things look cool. Carbon fibres and flags and tattoos and all sorts of stuff on them. We got this team together. Again, really fortunate. We approached a company. I'd gone all over. I was kind of doing it at the same time as I was doing my Ecolab job. I was going, oh, if I'm going to be there with an Ecolab, I'll go and see that company while I'm there. <laughs> yeah. And I'd been all over the UK and couldn't find a company that could make the size that I needed. Yeah. And we were looking at 3D printing. And then just by coincidence... I bumped into someone on the industrial estate in Bottlewithen and they said, well, go see that company over there. They do some funky stuff. Maybe they'll help. So I knocked on the door. I had a prosthetic leg in one hand <laughs> and my fiberglass copy one I'd made in the other. And the receptionist came to the door and I said, oh, the guy over there said, you might be able to help me. I'm looking for a company to help supporters and develop this idea of making prosthetic leg covers for amputees. And she said, Okay, she said, the boss only does stuff by prior appointment. But she said, I think you can bypass that one. Because she says, to turn up at the reception with a prosthetic leg and a, <laughs> and, a, and a botched together leg cover, let me go see if he's got five minutes. So then he came down and he was like, what a great idea. All right, let's develop it all. So he put a team together to help us doing all the CAD work and, and all that work. And it would have been fantastic. And he basically charged us cost. Yeah. But only once we'd finished the project. So I think again, it, it would have been it would have been yeah, impossible almost. Amazing act of kindness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um so without them we wouldn't have developed the I the idea. Yeah. So then we, we launched the idea in twenty eighteen and immediately after launching the idea we won the Stelios Award for Entrepreneurship. 
So Sustelios from EasyJet and trying to give away half his fortune of a billion. So he'd set up the Stelios Foundation where if you're disabled or you're making a product for disabled, you can enter the awards. Well, we were obviously both. (laughs) So we we won that one and we got some financial support from from Stelios and great advice and stuff and some help from the Easy group. And we thought, well, what a great launch to the company. You couldn't get a better launch than that. And then we had a letter came through the door a couple of weeks later. It was from Prince William to say that our company and story had come across his desk. He'd heard about the fact of me losing my leg the day he was born and wanted to just wish us all the very best for the uh, company of the future. You You didn't get to meet him then? No, no. (laughs) That's to come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then it was just a a whirlwind then of different awards and stuff. Um, And we just went from strength to strength. Ended up getting a contract with the NHS. So now any amputee in the UK can just go into their limb centre and say, I want my leg finished with a, with a limb art cover. Wow, that's incredible. And the NHS fund it. But it actually saves the NHS money because they were trying to do it themselves. Yeah. Very bespoke, very one-off. And yeah. It was costing them hours and hours of time as they can just order one from us and it's clips on and that's it, easy done. Yeah. And then we export to 14 different countries. Wow. So we just launched in the US with Empire Medical over there. So they've got access to 250 limb centres. So it's just, you, you, you still have to keep pinching yourself yeah from the I, I guess the moment we thought this could be something was yeah. we knew the rea- reaction we were getting to making these leg covers but i thought this is going to be nothing more than a, than a side hustle yeah and as long as it doesn't cost me money i don't need to make any money out of it yeah. as long as it doesn't cost me money it'll be something good to do and then i got the data through from the amputee coalition out in the u.s and the nhs in the uk so in the uk you've got around about six to seven hundred new amputees every month Every month. Every month. In the US, you've got pretty much the same number, 600 amputees, new amputees, every day. Wow. 30 million amputees globally. So I got the calculator and I put 30 million times 299 quid for our leg covers, and it's 7.2 billion quid. So I thought, maybe this is something a little bit more than a, than a, than a side hustle. Is that how much they are, 300 yeah, quid? Yeah. I realised the only thing that was holding Limart back was the fact that I had a full-time job yeah. with another company. So I spoke to my boss and told him exactly what I was doing and gave them 18 months' notice of me going. So it helped them. 18 months? Yeah. That's generous. Yeah. Uh, well, they'd been really good to me over 25-odd yeah. years. Yeah. That's brilliant. Good. And so now this is your full-time gig. you moved out here and you've got your office and everything. And Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and it's like when we set the business up, I had it written on the wall, of, on that board there actually, of criteria for success. How are we going to know when Limart is working well? So I'd written down on the wall, customers will be saying things like, product looks fantastic, arrived on time, great customer service, dead easy to measure, all those kind of things. Yeah. And people are recommending us to others. Um, and I thought, if uh, people are saying that, then the business is working well. Yeah. And uh, we've almost had none of that. Nobody ever says anything like that about our leg covers. They say things like, this has changed my life. Wow. I used to walk into a room and feel very conscious of people looking at my leg. Yeah. Because it was just a stem. And then I'd catch them looking at my leg. They'd catch me catching them. So they'd now feel awkward. And everyone just get this awkward silence and people staring. Until eventually someone ends up saying something like, Oh, hope you don't make me asking, how did you lose your leg? Yeah. Which is a real bad way to start a discussion. 
especially when you get it asked when you get asked it every day and it, it's almost like it's like looking at you your disability not you as a person absolutely yeah so as, you, as as if you walked into a room for instance with your guinness leg on that yeah. now says legless on it yeah. i guarantee you no one will ask you how you lost your leg they'll go that is a cool leg cover yeah and what a great way to start a discussion so it yeah. starts as something cool something it, it gives it makes the wearer feel really confident when they walk in yeah and it joe public feel comfortable then yeah that when they're looking at the leg they've, they've almost got permission to look at the leg and it just makes it breaks that barrier down and, and in terms of pre cool leg cover when you were having to deal with that every day yeah how as a society could we have done it better how could we have been kinder to because it, it does make an awkward conversation but yeah, equally, yeah, yeah. it's the elephant in the room <laughs> it, it's one of them things that yeah as a society we could maybe stop looking and staring and things at amputees that's like trying to say to the world okay what i want you to do for tuesday next week is stop breathing for tuesday yeah. it's never going to happen yeah if you decided tomorrow to go and your hair bright pink yeah when you walk down the street i guarantee you people will be looking at your hair going look at that lady with the, yeah. yeah if you're not the norm whatever the norm is yeah people are going to look and they're interested and some people say something that's supposed to be a joke and it doesn't come across as a joke and all these kind of things and you're never going to stop that yeah but the leg covers not only stop they don't stop it but they change it into a real positive format yeah yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, like, we can try and not look and stare. Yeah. But as humans... Yeah, yeah. Well, what's really, really interesting, University of Wales have written the paper. We were involved in the project on exactly that issue of what are people thinking and why are they staring? And uh, one of the real interesting parts we did in that um, paper is I got videoed telling a story, just a random story, um, and then we did eye tracking on the people listening to me on the video. So on the first video, they'd CGI'd a real leg. So I had two real legs, which was slightly tough to see because I'd never... Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd never seen myself yeah. with two legs. And then they played exactly the same video again, but I was wearing a stem leg. And then the last one, the, the video, I was wearing a limb art cover. And then on the one where I've got two real legs, everyone's just focused on my mouth. Yeah. Just listening to the story and that's it when i'm wearing the stem leg they're still mainly focused on my mouth but there is loads of micro glances they call it right of people looking at my stem leg and it's like 0.1 of a second or something like that because it's your brain is telling you you're not supposed to look at that don't look at that, look at that. stop looking saying. stop looking <laughs> but you can't resist it and you keep looking but then interestingly when i'm wearing the limart cover again they're focusing on my face but there's looks at my leg proper looks yeah. and it's clear that it gives them this like yes you can look at my leg gives them that authority yeah yeah you can look no problem yeah. so it clearly makes them feel a lot comfier yeah um, but then it is drawing attention so some people might not like don't want to draw attention no, no. Um, but for them they're probably if they don't want to draw attention they're probably not going to be wearing shorts and stuff yeah they'd be wearing trousers yeah and then the leg cover then has a different purpose it gives you that silhouette under trousers. Yeah. So it doesn't stand out. You don't get that original thing that developed Limart, which was the, the, flappy, fl the flappy, flappy trouser. Yeah, trouser leg syndrome, as we yeah. called it. It solves that. So if you want to absolutely not have people looking at you, then wear a Limart cover under skinny jeans or trousers or whatever, and it'll give you that silhouette. But then if you do want to wear 
stand out, stand proud a little bit. Yeah. Then you can have your uh, carbon fibres or your Hawaiians or yeah. your whatever, Six. or even your full customs. Very, very often, daily almost, if I go to the supermarket or, or anywhere, quite often people will go, I just want to say, I think your leg is cool. Yeah. Which is and, 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 and yeah, yeah, I feel great then and they feel great. Yeah. So actually, like you wouldn't mind someone actually saying that to you. That makes no. you feel yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's all more about being positive about it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, this is, I don't want this to sound like, oh, it's us that have changed yeah. society. This is on the back of, I think there was a big step change with um, London 2012. Yeah. With the Paralympics there. And you see it now. We're not there yet, but we're certainly getting there of on Strictly. Yeah. An amputee on Strictly. Yeah. And, and you see now adverts on TV. There was one for Aviva Insurance of a, a bloke running along the beach who's an amputee. And I remember watching that advert to start with, thinking, what's this got to do with an amputee? Why is there an amputee advertising car insurance? And then you realise by the end, you go, well, why shouldn't an amputee? Yeah. And it just becomes normal. It's moved itself away. Disability has been stuck for donkey's years, and I don't think the movie industry helps, that generally everyone who's a villain is disabled. You look at all the nasty people, and they've got a patch on their eye, they're in a wheelchair they generally a lot of villains have got a disability of some kind or another and I think they're trying to portray this thing of well if you're disabled you obviously must be angry at the world and want to kill the world or something so that's what we've taught society we've done a couple of projects now where we've talked to Disney on it and they never purposely set out to do it but yeah but but, yeah yeah. and and, and being an amputee now is is kind of cool yeah what's the best act of kindness someone's done across this journey for you for sure, although there's been many, many hundreds of people from a, a little kid going into this, the corner shop and saying, can I give my pocket money to Mark to yeah. go to the Paralympics? But I think the biggest one of them all is, is Mick giving me yeah. that, week, that year for free. Yeah, that chance. Um, he wasn't after anything out of it. Yeah. And what would you say is the biggest act of kindness you've done? I, I guess my, my issue probably is... I probably don't realise the effect some of the things I've done have had on other people. Yeah, I get it a bit now because I do quite a few talks and stuff around about my journey and, and that helps. One in particular, I, I did a talk at Bedouin Jail in Wrexham to a group of lads there that were in for various different law-breaking things. Um, some of them you could see, they were like career criminals and well, they're going to they're need a lot of help. But some of them had just made a mistake in life and a lot of them were... Like someone saying, look, if you can take this package from here to there, I'll give you 500 quid. Yeah. No questions asked. Yeah. And then if the police stop you, you, you can, you'll be innocent because you just say, I don't know what was in the package. Yeah. Yeah. Naively, they do it. And there was, uh, I was talking about entrepreneurship. And, uh, and there's actually a bit of a link between criminals and disabled. Bear with me on this yeah. one. <laughs> a lot of disabled, there's a higher percentage of disabled people are entrepreneurs. Okay. Because they struggle to get a job. Especially if you're wheelchair bound or something like that, then life is hard. The world isn't built for a wheelchair. Yeah. So I can imagine, although they're not supposed to do it, you go into a job interview and there's an able-bodied person and a disabled person and they're both equally as good. And the owner of the company looks at the disabled one and goes, if you get the job, it's going to cost me about 40 grand in doing ramps and putting a lift in and all these kind of things as you can start tomorrow. Yeah. So the disabled person doesn't get as much chance. Yeah. So I think they end up being forced to start their own business. And also, there is a lot of people I know that are running their own business that are disabled 
and their idea is exactly the same as mine. It's come not from a business idea. It's come from, let me solve something for myself. And then you realise, the whole rest of the world that's the same yeah. as me, yeah, all of the 30, ampu- 30 million amputees yeah. also want it. So there's that. You go to criminals, people that are in jail, and they have a similar issue. Equally qualified to someone else. Yo, you've got a three-year gap in your CV yeah. here. What did you do? Uh, I was in Bedwin for three years yeah. on a drug transporting charge <laughs> or something. Okay, not going to get a job here. So a lot of them end up being self-employed in a legal way. So anyway, I'd done this talk on entrepreneurship, and I said, you don't don't think of entrepreneurs as like Elon Musk or Bill Gates and stuff, where you've got to make billions of pounds and be right across the world. Entrepreneurship can be, I said, on the way in this morning into the jail, I said, there's a little, there's a guy with a caravan on the side of the A55 yeah. selling bacon butties. Yeah. He's an entrepreneur. He's decided I'm going to do this yeah. myself. Yeah. So entrepreneurship can start in very small bits. And about two years after that talk, I got an email through to info at Limart from a guy and he just said, just wanted to let you know, I bought myself a caravan and I now sell bacon butties on the side of the A55. And he was in the jail at the time when I talked. That's great. So you go, yeah, yeah. made it made a difference there. And some of the leg covers we've done have, have really transformed people's lives. We, we, we gift quite a few leg covers. I can imagine. Well, literally this morning, I just had uh, a picture from Ukraine. So a guy that's lost his leg in the war. We've sent a leg cover out to the Ukraine. That's the second one we've done to Ukraine. The guy had lost his leg in Basra. And he came to terms with losing his leg okay, but struggled with the fact that he'd had a tattoo done when he was out in Basra of him and his three squad mates on the side of his leg. So he'd lost that. And in the accident he'd had, his three squad mates died. So he was the only one left. So he really emotionally was struggling with that one. So he managed to recreate the tattoo. That's brilliant. We delivered it out to him and... uh, there was me, his consultant, and him. We he put his leg cover on, and uh, he just said, "Oh, my mates are back." Yeah, and it's like the three of us are like that's cool. real emotional stuff. And that's the good thing about kindness, isn't yeah. it? It gives you a buzz as well. Yeah, feeling ten times better because yeah. every day you're making a difference in someone's life. Yeah. So my career ambition to be rich wasn't actually wrong. I just didn't understand what rich was. Okay. Rich was nothing to do with money, which yeah. I thought it was. Right. Rich was doing what we do now, which is making a difference to people yeah. pretty much every day. So actually, your act of kindness, therefore, is is the it, fact that every day you come in here and yeah. want to make a difference to yeah. people. But it doesn't feel like an act of kindness, because it's, it's my job. Yeah. Although it doesn't seem like a job, because yeah. I just come in here and, uh, and we make leg covers and talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, for the for the wearer, I think it makes a... Well, I know from myself yeah. that it makes a, a huge difference. Brilliant. And so we always, towards the end of the podcast, talk about what are the... Is it like a kindness summary? So what top three things would you say, as an amputee probably, can we do to make it easier for other amputees and like from your experience? I, I say the biggest thing is don't don't shy away from it talk to yeah. amputees are the same as everybody else yeah, yeah. Um, the worst thing is having that stare and nobody says anything yeah that's the real awkward bit get involved and um, very very few amputees will be offended or anything if you ask yeah because yeah. Um, it's curious how do you, do you take it off when you go swimming do you do this and, yeah, yeah. and yeah. everyone's got all these questions in their head yeah um, so just just ask i like that one i try and rule my Life with two simple simple pictures. One is a picture of a radiator and one's a picture of a drain. 
I try and surround myself with radiators. Okay. And this is, this is not radiators in the room that keep you warm. This is doing stuff that makes you feel good. Right, okay. From going to the pub with your mates and you come home and you feel better because you've had a bit of a crack with them and yeah. you've had a laugh. So to doing talks to different charities and things and uh, and a lot of them I do voluntary. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel good to share the story yeah. and gives other people that are maybe having a bit of a tough time um, a bit of inspiration and, and, and happiness. So I surround myself with situations and people who are radiators. Yeah. And then... I keep at arm's length situations and people that are drains, that suck the living daylights out of you, that are after nothing in life, just want something. But the caveat on that would be that you've got to really realise why someone might be a drain. Right. And it might be that they're just having a real, real hard time. So then it's your job as a radiator to stick your arm around them, give them a bit of your heat and bring them back to uh, to the radiator side. I love that. So that's kind of how I do it, which is why we do, we fund some leg covers for people and we've got our Smile Foundation that we are trying to build now. We've got a philanthropist that's come in that's helped us fund leg covers. We do them at at cost or for free, something like that. So if we see somebody out there that could really benefit in whatever way from uh, having a leg cover, then we can probably fund it through the, uh, the Smile Fund. That's great. Any, any other tips around kindness? You, You seem to... Be oozing it, which is the radiator <laughs> of kindness. I quite like that. No, I think it's just. I think there's, there's probably a bit too much these days of people going, "Well, what do I what do I get out of it?" Yeah. And then you'll probably be disappointed what you get out of it, because you end up not doing a lot, so then therefore not getting a lot out of it. Is just mm. just just do stuff without any expectation of getting anything back. But the one guarantee you get is if you do stuff that's good. I guarantee you it'll come back to you. Yeah. you. You don't have an option. It'll come back to you. Yeah. And especially if at some point you might need some help, then all those years of doing some good stuff will really uh, yeah. put the hand on your shoulder and, uh, and help you through the bad stuff. Brilliant. So we've got, don't shy away from the questions if mm-hmm. you see an amputee. Be, be a radiator. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and just keep working through doing good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because... With no expectation, just because it makes you happier. Yeah. But then, ultimately, what goes around comes around, really. Yeah, yeah. And try it. Try it. Try doing something. Yeah. Good. That really makes you feel good. Yeah. And then, and then just, just look at yourself and go, how did I feel after I did that good thing? And compare it to how did you feel after you got your last pay rise? Yeah. And just see which is the best. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. It was lovely to have you. Can I just say a massive thank you to all the people that we've interviewed who have been so honest and vulnerable with me so that we can have these real-life stories to share with you, our wonderful listener. And remember, we'd love to hear what random or small acts of kindness you've been up to so that we can maybe do a few. Find us on all the socials, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and all our forward slash acts GB, that's A-C-T-S-G-B. And drop a comment on our feed, tweet us or even send a photo. Let's build our kindness community together. We'll read some of our favourites on future episodes of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. And you never know, we might even have a go at a few of your ideas ourselves. Watch this space on the socials. For more information about the Axe Charity, including how to donate to us, head to axonline.uk. See you next time.